All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells. In this week's episode, we'll be talking a lot of basketball and baseball. March Madness has completed the first two weekends. We'll be talking about the final four teams, uh, both the men's and the women's side, the, the paths that we got to this point, and just uh, you know our, our overall thoughts on uh, some of the craziness of the first four rounds of the tournaments. And we'll also talk about the NBA trade deadline, some of the, the big names that were moved, give our biggest winners and losers. And we'll be getting you ready for the 2021 MLB season opening day set for Thursday, April 1st. Maybe when you're listening to this, if you listen to it the day it comes out, we will uh, go a division by division preview, give our predictions for playoff teams, and of course, our World Series winner before wrapping up today's episode with our top five favorite baseball movies. So jam-packed with those two sports. And with that, let's get started. back a couple weeks since our last episode it's good to see you again it's good to see you too i don't look like gordon hayward in his college days anymore i finally did get a haircut nice i uh i'm not not recording the video on this one so others can't see but it it looks good (laughs) Uh, i mean mean, i'm not trying to show off exactly so (laughs) i'm actually thrilled with that news yeah no we are we are uh you know virtual over here but uh, i can i can kind of tell now it's been a it's been a a couple weeks like i said but i I can see like on the side that you have it it cut a little so yeah all right well uh hey i mean speaking of gordon hayward we'll be talking a lot of basketball both nba and college basketball we'll talk about the trade deadline we'll talk about march madness we're in the final four at this point so we'll kind of you know recap the first two weekends and uh, give our predictions for the final weekend in both indianapolis and san antonio we'll also talk a lot of baseball we're gonna Get ready for the 2021 MLB season. We'll count down our top five favorite baseball movies, which uh, I think you and I, we talked about this. It's uh, it's a struggle for a good reason. I think if we did any other sport, it would be tough to come up with five great movies. But baseball, there are so many to choose from. So definitely excited to get into that one. Yeah, thinking about it right now, I couldn't come up with f- five good golf, hockey. I, I don't, Not even football or basketball, I don't think I could come up with a top five list baseball is definitely the best sport in terms of movies yep so that'll be a great way to wrap this one up but before we get into any of that you know we weren't going to but we feel like we really have to talk some nfl because there have been a lot of uh, a lot of things that have popped up in the past few days or even in the last couple weeks so 
we're going to do a quick football segment. So we'll we'll kind of go rapid fire here, but we want to at least say that we we check the box and talk some football. And uh, let's start off with one thing from a couple weeks ago, and that was the Steelers bringing back Juju Smith-Schuster, signing a one-year deal, $8 million less than the Chiefs and the Ravens offered him in terms of total salary and guarantees. And look, Juju is one of my favorite players on the Steelers. And I recognize that maybe wide receiver isn't a huge concern for the Steelers this offseason in terms of, you know, other positions that they could upgrade or, you know, try to replace guys that they lose in free agency. But I'm glad Juju's back. Only the third receiver under Kevin Colbert. Uh, so in the last 20 plus years to get a second contract after Heinz Ward and Antonio Brown. And the fact that he took a less money than he would have gotten from Kansas City or even Baltimore is just, it's awesome. So I'm excited for another year of Juju. A lot more work that the Steelers need to do this offseason. Uh, but that that's definitely like a nice thing, given that a lot of players have uh, have left in free agency. It's nice to be able to retain one of the big talented players. Yeah, I, I was surprised that he was actually coming back to coming back to Pittsburgh, just given what they have at receiver with Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson being more than more than serviceable starting receivers, and I felt like, given what the market was looking like heading in at the start of free agency, I, f- I figured Juju would be leaving and for more money and for more mm-hmm. years. And so I'm actually pretty surprised that uh, he's back. Yeah, he but did the rare for- thing of taking less money to stay, and you know something that a lot of football players talk about and rarely do. So. I also liked his tweet where he had the Wolf of Wall Street video where like I'm not I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know so many guys do that. Like I've seen like a few players do that this offseason to this point. I know Cam Hayward even did it last year when he uh signed an extension with Pittsburgh. So another uh you know, big Steelers news, just kind of an interesting one. So Tyson Alulu originally was signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars and Apparently he tested positive for COVID-19, so he wasn't able to go to Jacksonville. And, you know, during that time where he was quarantining, uh, some of the Steelers teammates were able to convince him to come back. So that's a a big non-loss for Pittsburgh because they've definitely lost a lot of defensive starters. They they keep their nose tackle, one of the tough uh, run stoppers that they had that made their run defense one of the best in the league last year. So if it wasn't for COVID, he'd be in Jacksonville he would I mean the Jaguars had originally drafted him I don't know Urban Meyer is their head coach now they have maybe reason to feel positive about the future so uh, I I think I think it's good that he was able to stay yeah he's taking less money so he was gonna but I mean he was gonna get two years six million from Jacksonville I don't think he's taking that much less money to stay in Pittsburgh so um all right uh in terms of more recent news big Big trade involving draft picks. The 49ers moving up from 12 to 3, where the Miami Dolphins were. Dolphins pick up two first-round picks, and then they went ahead and traded one of their first-round picks next year to move back into six with the Eagles. Of course, the big story is the Niners moving up to number three. General manager John Lynch has been very transparent about it, saying that the Niners are going to draft a quarterback, but that Jimmy Garoppolo is still their quarterback for this year. Yeah, when you make a move like that to get to the third overall pick, you're not taking Devontae Smith. You're getting a quarterback, and I'm interested to see which quarterback that is and whether that's Justin Fields or Trey Lance or even Mac Jones if he actually gets taken by the Niners. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But I don't I don't believe 
John Lynch or Shana- Kyle Shanahan when it comes to Garoppolo and them wanting to keep him. I think I think it's a matter of time that he ends up somewhere else. And I think I think for Garoppolo, he needs to revive his career a little bit and have the narrative change that he's uh, he needs to be a more reliable quarterback. And I th- I think it'd be best if he were in New England because he's he can connect back with Belichick and I think Belichick can would trust Garoppolo more to in terms of passing the ball rather than Kyle Shanahan I don't think Shanahan has full faith in Garoppolo from that aspect or just staying on the field in general so I think it's a matter of time that's just my opinion though yeah I know a lot of people are already saying Jimmy G going back to New England so realistically what I think is going to happen I don't know if it's I should say realistically but this is my prediction I think that the or the 49ers are going to draft Justin Fields Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the week one starter, and he's going to remain the starter for a few games. He's going to play okay, but then as soon as he loses, has like one bad interception game, Fields is going to take over as quarterback, and then Garoppolo is going to be traded at the deadline. And it would not surprise me if it's back to New England like he was originally traded from at the deadline back in 2017. Yeah, if I had to take an educated guess, I'm, I'm guessing that the Niners are really interested in Justin Fields. And if it weren't... If your case were to happen where they actually do keep Garoppolo, I can also see that where he he ends up struggling in a game and the Niners fans and everyone are are demanding to get Fields or whoever the next guy is to get on the field and Garoppolo's benched. And but I'm going with my scenario uh, as my it's just a prediction. All right, so uh, next next big story. We've been talking about this for a couple of years now. It is finally official. The NFL will expand the regular season to 17 games in 2021. All the AFC teams will have nine home games as uh, the you know first place team in one division in the AFC will match up with a first place team in another division in the NFC, and you know so on with second, third, and fourth. So I, I I'm if I'm being completely honest with this, so. I think 17 is such a gross number. Like, I hate seeing people talk about, oh, this team's going to go 9 and 8 or 10 oh, and 7 or 3 and 14. I like, I, I couldn't hate agree that with you more. more than that, anything that, else that, about this. That is my biggest uh, thing with the with the new schedule format of 17 games. I, I hate the idea of saying, oh, I think this team will go 9 and 8 this year right. <laughs> or, or 10 and 7. It, I'm still trying to get used to saying Las Vegas Raiders and L.A. Chargers. It's still taking me a while to say that. Now I got to say uh, records with 17 games in them. Ah, oh, that's it's a gross number. I want if they're gonna really, you know, expand the schedule, make it 18 as quickly as possible. I think it's I only a matter of time before it goes to yeah. 18. Having and having nine home games or or nine road games and then one less or more for uh, for home and away stuff. I. I don't like that either. Yeah, so my not, so my and then player safety that, as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that the NFL has done some positive things for player safety, and they talk about player safety, but then you know, in the end, it always comes down to the money. Yeah, uh, it, my it, my hope is that they play neutral site games a lot more of those. That basically just ends up with eight home games, eight away games, and a neutral site game rather than nine and eight or eight and nine. Uh, I don't know if that's wishful thinking, but I think it would be so, cool so, to see games played at like college football stadiums and you know, oh, okay. more international so you, so you're games. Not, so you're not getting 
all 32 teams to go to London at some point or Mexico no, City. No, yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. I, okay, good. I don't know how realistic that is, especially in the first year, but I, I do think that would be kind of cool if we could see that. You know, have a little more balance of the schedule because, you know, 9 and 8, 8 and 9 doesn't feel it's, great. It, it's gross. I, yeah. I, hate, I hate it. All right. And then uh, last thing. So Michael Strahan, long retired. I, he... Uh, I saw. I he saw, decided. I to, saw the new teeth. to close his gap in his teeth. I didn't think it would take this long, but I, I like it. It looks good. Yeah, I mean, okay, it looks good, but at the same time, it feels weird. Like he's been on TV for a decade now. Why? Why is he just doing it now? Like I feel like that's he, true. He's the, the owned time, it for the timing so long. Is off. He, he he's been on what Good Morning America and uh, uh, Kelly like, and yeah, Michael and, show. Yeah, live. The old Regis yeah, and Kelly. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's been on TV forever. So yeah, I, I and it hasn't been a problem. Why the why now? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, you know, good for him doing that. It it is a good look. He he definitely uh you know looks looks good having you know normal front teeth. But it's uh it is weird because like that that was like one of his it's distinguishing it, characteristics. It's kind of a it's kind of like an iconic thing for him yeah and it's like you know embracing your imperfections and this idea that a guy with a gap in his teeth can be one of the greatest football players of all time and also one of the greatest like tv personalities out there so but i don't know i'm uh i mean i guess i'm happy for him to go ahead with this but it it does seem odd that he he did it after all this time like it feels like that's the kind of thing you do after you stop playing and take the tv job not 10 years after you do it all right, so that that's good for NFL talk. You know, we we got the football stuff out of the way. I hope everyone's happy with that. We'll definitely have more football talk in the, you know, the coming weeks and months with the NFL draft coming up and, you know, everything else. But for now, let's get into basketball. And let's start with the NBA. So, a week ago was the NBA trade deadline. I personally was not expecting a ton to happen this year, and yet it was I think the busiest trade deadline that we've had in years. Um I want to say it was 13 trades went down on deadline day. And the Orlando Magic were at a huge part of that. They traded Nikola Vucevic, their all-star center, to the Chicago Bulls. They traded Aaron Gordon to the Denver Nuggets. And they traded Evan Fournier to the Boston Celtics. Post-deadline, buyouts, big thing. Really, the two big ones were LaMarcus Aldridge to the Brooklyn Nets and Andre Drummond to the Lakers. Aldridge signing the Nets had everyone complaining about super teams. And... I guess, what are your thoughts on Aldridge going to the Nets? Like, does this make the Nets just so overpowered compared to everyone else? I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge is not in his prime anymore. He's he's definitely at the back end of his career, but it's still it's still weird seeing him as the fourth or fifth best player on a team. It, it, it I mean, just does, it definitely doesn't feel right. And yeah, he's it, he's not the player he was in Portland. I mean, even his like the end of his San Antonio career, he's not the same guy that he was when I, he first showed up there so and i think he's gonna help brooklyn more on the defensive side of the ball than offensively offensively they have three pieces when when they're all healthy they have three elite pieces to go to on that side of the ball defensively yeah that's gonna help match up with of course the center position so i yeah it's it's definitely a win for them and i don't know it seems like a matter of time where they're gonna be huge favorites in the east 
Yeah, I love. I mean, I think they already are the finals favorite at this point. I'm pretty sure when LeBron got injured, they took over and the the Vegas sports true. books from the Lakers. But uh, yeah, I, I love all the the uh, takes. It's like, oh, look at all these All Star appearances the Nets have, even though Aldridge hasn't been in an All Star game in years. Blake Griffin yeah. has not been in a couple of years now. Like, it's just it's just kind of silly. Like, they're big names, but the way I'm looking at it is. They're going to Brooklyn to try to win a ring, and good for them. I think that those are two guys who have had excellent NBA careers playing for two, I, mean, I don't want to say small market teams because this is the Clippers in Los Angeles, but they're, they're the little brother of the Lakers. They've never been a huge team. Portland, they're the only team that they have, and uh, I think it would be it would be cool to see those guys win rings, and I personally don't care if the Nets win. I, we talked about this a while ago, so... The uh, one the, I don't think the they're one, overpowered by any means though because of this. I, I mean, the one knock for me for Brooklyn, well, obviously I don't like Kyrie, but another thing is I I hate that the Celtics make that trade with Brooklyn where they get all these draft picks and they do all the right things and they they're the ones in the middle of the and middle of the pack in the NBA while Brooklyn is a, on the verge of winning a title, which just sucks thinking about that. Yeah, I know. I I try not to think about it that way. Or the fact that there's like no Brooklyn Nets fans. They were in New Jersey for a long time. They go to Brooklyn. No one cares about the Nets there. They're all Knicks fans. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's like half of the the tickets are like corporate seats that just get given out to people. Yeah, aren't they like 20 minutes away from from the. Yeah, probably. I mean, Brooklyn and Manhattan are pretty close to each other. They're both in New York City. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I. I guess real quickly, uh, yeah, Celtics picked up Evan Fournier. He goes 0 for 10 in his Celtics debut. It's the fourth worst debut in NBA history in terms of uh, most missed shots without a make since yeah, I, the shot clock era in 1954. Yeah, I, I, I feel bad for him. For I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it's just the, an outlier. I'm sure he'll be fine. And they, they gave up two second round picks for the guy. Yeah, so it's. It's no big deal. I think he'll be a solid scorer, but I, I definitely don't think that Fournier puts the Celtics over the top. It's like, okay, oh, maybe they'll be able not. to avoid the play-in game now, but there's, I still don't think they're yeah, going to they, win a first-round series. Still, there's still a first-round exit in my mind. All right, so let's uh, let's jump into just you know recapping the uh, you know the trade deadline, buyout stuff, whatever, and let's uh, let's start off with our most significant trade. So I'll get started with this one, and I think that the most significant trade was the, I believe, the first trade to happen on deadline day, one that really surprised me, and that was Nikola Vucevic going from Orlando to Chicago for Wendell Carter Jr. and two first-round picks, among other pieces, Otto Porter going to Orlando to make salaries work. Nikola Vucevic is one of the best offensive centers in the game. He's averaging, I believe, 25 points per game with the Magic when he was traded. Orlando, the past couple of years, has been a playoff team. They've come close to bottoming out in the Eastern Conference, so it makes sense for them to do this kind of rebuild. But a big reason why Orlando has been good the past couple of years is because of Vucevic. I'm really excited to see how he pairs with Zach Levine in Chicago. I think that they can be a really exciting offensive team. And... You know, maybe this all this does is put them in the playing game. May gives them a chance to, you know, beat beat a team like the Celtics or the Knicks or the Hornets or whoever just to get swept by the Nets in the first round. Uh, but I think long term, this is a kind of move that can kind of put Chicago back on the map when it comes to the league as a whole. So 
And I mean, when you're in a huge market like Chicago, a lot of teams, a lot of guys want to go there. I know you kind of have the Michael Jordan shadow, but it's it's long gone at this point. It's been 25 years since uh, you know he was in his heyday. So I think that uh, that's less of a factor. I'm just like thinking back to 2008 when the Bulls drafted Derrick Rose. He becomes a star right away. They his rookie season, they take the Celtics to seven games. Within a couple years, they sign Carlos Boozer in free agency. They sign Kyle Korver. Derrick Rose wins MVP and the Bulls are the one seed two years in a row. And of course, Derrick Rose's injuries kind of made that, you know, one of the bigger what if stories of, you know, where Chicago could have been if he stayed healthy. But the reality is that's all it kind of takes, you know, bringing in these, this one guy and all of a sudden Chicago becomes a free agency destination in the couple, next couple of years. And speaking of the Orlando Magic, I think the most significant trade of the deadline was actually... Aaron Gordon going to the Nuggets. I knew and you I think were going to say that. Yeah, and I I think that's a just a big move for them. Uh, obviously, uh, he Aaron Gordon definitely can help on both ends of the floor. He's a solid scorer. He's a good a good shooter, and he can help out a lot defensively. I, I think offensively, they're the Nuggets are too locked in on just going to Jokic and Murray. I feel like they need another secondary scorer. I think Mark, Michael Porter's. Michael Porter Jr. is pretty good, but I I think given their depth and looking at the rest of the Western Conference and where they're at right now, especially with LeBron and AD both being out for the Lakers, I feel like it's more wide open than ever in the Western Conference or in the NBA in general. And I think this move is going to really help them for sure. And I, in my opinion, I think they're the winners of the, the trade deadline with that move. I think... I think that that's a move that can help them get not just get past the first round, but maybe even uh, another Western Conference Finals appearance. And who knows if the Lakers are going to be healthy enough by then and if they're going to be in it or not. Because if they're not, then it's definitely there for the taking for them. Yeah, I, I, this was the other trade that I was like considering here. These yeah. feel like the two biggest ones in terms of, uh, you know, how a team improves their outlook. Uh, and if you just focus solely on 2021, the Nuggets make a ton of sense in terms of like picking up this Gordon. Now, all of a sudden, they're more of a contender than they were and very fair to call them the biggest winner. I'm not as high on Aaron Gordon as a lot of people are. I think he's someone who's like a bigger name and like a bigger personality than he is on the court at times. So you think um, he's more of like a dunk contest yeah, guy? Yeah, like in a than... way, I kind of get that feel from him that maybe, I mean, if you just look at his I just, scoring average, he was their third scorer after Evan Fournier and Nikola Vucevic. That's, so. See, that's the part of it, though, is that they're not relying on him to be the best player. No, I, you're right. They, they, have two, they have two players that are definitely the, the first and second uh, stars on that team. So that, yep. I think that's a reason why I think it, it'll help not just the Nuggets, but also Aaron Gordon himself. No, and it, it does make a ton of sense. And I, I do think that this is one that you can look back on in you know June or July and be like, yeah, obviously this was the biggest trade. Look at what happened with the Nuggets. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, in terms of my biggest winner, I was there are a lot of teams that I was considering for this one. And of course, the Nuggets are one. The Bulls are a team. But when I look at the Bulls, like I said, you know, I guess it helps them make the playoffs. But I don't think that Vucevic turns them into a finals contender, even in the relatively weak Eastern Conference. And just looking around, so the Lakers, they didn't make any big splashes. They missed 
missed out on Kyle Lowry. Same with the 76ers. The Bucks, uh, they got P.J. Tucker. They got Austin Rivers. Neither of those guys put them necessarily in the same contention as the Nets, who LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, he's, he's a nice player. To me, this is more of a ring chase move than the Nets just becoming a, a super team. And Can the I Nets guess- also missed out on J.J. Redick when he was traded to the Mavericks at the last minute, who they were supposed to get in the buyout market. So I don't think that they're the big winners. The Miami Heat are a team that I would consider here picking up Victor Oladipo that, for almost nothing. That's what nothing. I was going to guess you were going to yeah. say. Yeah, but my thing with the Heat, and you know, I know I said this last year, I don't think that uh, they're at the point where they're they're contenders with those top three teams. I think in a normal season that's not played in a bubble, the Heat are just you know the fourth best team after those top three of Brooklyn, Philly, and Milwaukee. So when it's all said and done, my biggest winner of the deadline is the name Gary. That's because there are only three players I, I, in the NBA named saw, Gary. Gary Harris, Gary Clark, thing. and Gary Trent Jr., and they were all traded on trade all, deadline day. Harris every and Clark Gary was traded. for each other. Um, or no, they were both they were both traded. Yeah, no. Yes, Harris went from Orlando to Denver, and Clark went from other way around. Harris went from Denver to Orlando in the Aaron yeah, Gordon Orlando. trade. And Clark went from Orlando to Denver as part of the Aaron Gordon trade. And then... Gary Trent Jr. went from Portland to Toronto for Norman Powell. So I think that's cool. Gary is uh, its very much not a popular name with uh, people our age. So I think that's super interesting. And then another fact that I read was that all three of these Garys are named Junior. And Gary Trent Jr. was like his dad, Gary Trent Sr., whenever in like the 90s or something, was actually traded from Portland to Toronto halfway through his third season in the league just like his son just was so that's literally what i was just about to say that gary trent senior uh in his career with portland he averaged 10 points per game there and then was traded to toronto halfway through his third season and then gary trent jr started his career in portland averaged 10 points per game there and then got traded halfway through to his third season to toronto as well just that's crazy that's that's insane insane yep Yep. That's that's crazy. All right. So who's your biggest loser of the deadline? Uh I'm go I'm gonna go with the Celtics. Uh, and I know the, the Fournier move I actually did like, especially since second round picks are just completely useless. And they also made they also traded away Tice uh for Mo Wagner and a guy named Luke Cornet, uh, also known as the Green Cornet, uh is a good He's nickname. Or the, even year. the mur- murder cornet and his mom was in the last dance. It, is that true? No, no. <laughs> some woman who looked like her in like the the Pacers crowd uh, before the Eastern Conference Finals on the screen, and his mom like tweeted something about that being her. Uh, it wasn't actually her, but that was that was a funny joke back in uh, May. Yeah. Anyway, why are the Celtics the biggest loser? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So I have this. So even though those moves, I actually didn't mind. Uh, it's what they didn't do is what disappoints me as a Celtics fan. And when I see Nikola Vucevic go to the Bulls for the package that he went with, went for, and when Danny Ainge that morning of the trade deadline talks about what they what the Celtics need, and he says shooting with size, not shooting or size, shooting with size. So in other words, Nikola Vucevic, like that's and that's definitely a player that Danny Ainge. Uh, is definitely he, it's someone that he's wanted on the Celtics or he's tried to get, and for whatever reason he didn't feel like it was necessary to pull the trigger and 
try to help out Brown and Tatum a little bit more than just getting a, a nice piece in Evan Fournier. And I feel like that trade exception is just that loses more and more value by the day. That's just me. And well, they it, use it's that what they, to get Fournier, or at least part of it. Yeah, but it's just I don't know. It's just what they they also could have got Miles Turner uh, in the last off season, but they decided not to pull the trigger there. And just it, it's what they don't do that disappoints me more than anything. I mean, the amount of times Danny Ainge says, "Oh, we were keying on this guy, but we just." We couldn't make, we couldn't come to a deal. The amount of times I've heard that in my life as a Celtics fan is brutal. Like Vucevic would be a healthy scratch uh, if if Danny Ainge got all the players that he was in on but didn't get. If they <laughs> yeah. if they got all the players that he said that they were so close in getting, Vucevic would literally be like Kawhi the twelfth or thirteenth best player. Yeah, Davis, Kevin Durant. It yeah. Just, yeah. We would have the greatest roster of all time. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that sentiment. I know that a lot of people are calling the Celtics big losers just because of that. They're also connected to Aaron Gordon, who, you know, he's not Nikola Vucevic, but he'd still be a solid big man who could be a, a good third or fourth piece in Boston. And, uh, yeah, I mean, getting Fournier out of it is it does feel a little disappointing. I know he's someone who can score. I do like... Luke Cornett and uh, Mo Wagner coming in. I was kind of ready to move on from Tice and give Robert Williams a bigger role, which I think is also a benefit of this. But... Yeah, yeah. And, and Tice, his ceiling was last year in the bubble. He's yeah. not going to be any better than that. No. So, I mean, it's tough for me to say the Celtics are the biggest losers, but it it, it doesn't feel like the Celtics did anything to really improve their their roster. To when the you just point factor in the expectations contender. of yeah. the team, it it's what they don't do that really frustrates me. Yep. So, I mean, I, I totally understand that. Uh, my biggest loser, though, is the Houston Rockets. Yeah, and, I knew you were going to say that, too. Yeah, and that, that's – it's just – it's got to be so frustrating just, like, throughout that entire organization right now. They, they lost 20 games in a row, and they're just, like, an absolute mess. And they have a valuable trade piece in Victor Oladipo, and all they're able to get back from him from the Heat is Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, and a pick swap that either isn't going to happen because Houston's going to be terrible and Miami's not going to be, or it's it's like a Nets pick, and it's like, okay, so they're moving from like 28th to 23rd in the draft. So I, I think that's such a disappointment for the Rockets to you know not be able to get anything. I mean, they basically traded Russell Westbrook and uh, James Harden. For, and, for John Wall yeah, and Victor a Oladipo. bunch of nobodies. Yeah. John, exactly like a bunch of like pick swaps that probably aren't going to convey and five first round picks that are late in the draft and they they, they lost their own first round picks to Oklahoma City uh, with the original Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul trades so yeah Houston's in a tough spot right now yeah, and I, yeah, I think yeah. that they have to be the biggest loser just you know for that reason yeah yeah they they blew that trade I I, I wanted to, those were the two the Celtics and the Rockets were the two losers for me and I figured you know what I'll I'll give you the Rockets, and I'll just vent <laughs> yeah. with the Celtics for five minutes. No, that's that's fair. So, all right, that's it for the NBA talk. Let's move on to college basketball. And we had mentioned the Celtics traded for Mo Wagner. Three years ago, Mo Wagner was a star at Michigan. He led the Wolverines to the national championship game, and... Uh, last night at the time of recording, his younger brother Franz threw up a three-pointer that could have won the game for Michigan, and instead he airballed Wide it. Wide open airball. And next thing you know, 11-seed UCLA Bruins are in the Final Four, 
And that is uh, that is how we'll get started with our NCAA tournament talk as we have the Final Four set up. It's been a crazy tournament. It looks like there was a good chance that in the end we'd have three one seeds and a two, but UCLA, the 11 seed, they go from the first four to the final four, only the second team ever to do that, joining 2011 VCU. And, you know, that's I, I'm glad that we had that because this tournament has been too crazy to have chalk in the end. And UCLA has been I, like an like, amazing run. So I agree with that. It, there have been so many upsets, and then to see that there was a chance of it just being four or excuse me three one seeds and a two seed just that wouldn't have been right so i'm actually no. there's a part of me that's happy that uh that there was one outlier uh in that final four yeah and it, it is um pretty remarkable how ucla of all teams was able to do this like you said we started in the they started in the first four but they lost uh, arguably their best player chris smith to a torn acl at the end of december their best backup big jalen hill opted out of the season in february and before the season even started, their top recruit, Dyson Nix, who would have been their starting point guard, decided to play in the G League instead of going to college. And yet Mick Cronin is able to get these guys together. Johnny Juzang, phenomenal. He scored 28 of the 51 points against Michigan. He uh, And then they have this other guy, Jaime Hawkes Jr., who had a great game against Alabama. So this is a fun team. And they're a team that like they don't... Uh, Juzang, he's, he's going to be a first-round pick probably maybe a second round pick in the NBA, but he's the closest thing they have to a star right now. And uh, UCLA is a team that we see here in the end. So they, they definitely kind of salvaged like this, you know, this uh, upset riddle tournament, you know, kept it going at least a little longer. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised that UCLA was able to upset BYU and then they get a gift in the round of 32 by facing Abilene Christian instead of Texas. Yeah. So I figured that once they got to the Sweet 16, it was kind of over from there. But then they they make it a game versus Alabama, and then Alabama ties it with a three, forcing them to go to overtime. And you think the momentum is all on Alabama's side, but UCLA just went off in the, in that overtime. And, and then they get to the Elite Eight, where they're facing a Michigan team that just destroyed uh, our pick in that region in Florida yeah, State. Florida State. Where I, I, where I figured, like, all right, well, this this is an easy pass for them for, to the final four now. Now that they beat Florida State, but no, UCLA they they put up a great a great fight yesterday and played a played great defense. Well, Michigan also missed a bunch of shots. So yeah, they did. They I mean they had three shots at the end from three to they win missed the game their last. None of them fell. They they missed their last eight shots, including some layups, and then like you said, the the air ball by by Wagner. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Michigan went 6 for 11 for free throws. Alabama was 11 for 25 for free throws. So UCLA definitely uh, took advantage of, you know, other teams just being able to miss from the charity stripe to get here. But uh, certainly a big run. I mean, we talked about Texas losing to Abilene Christian. So, and we also talked about VCU making that big run. Of course, their head coach, Shaka Smart with VCU, he decides to leave Texas to go to Marquette, which... In a vacuum, sounds like a terrible decision, but that's just the reality of what Texas sports are right now, and that it's a great move to go from them to Marquette, who is they're they're Big East school, they're Power Five, but it's like Texas has been like such a disappointment recently, and Chaka Smart couldn't get a tournament win. I was really high on the Longhorns. I, I mean, I had two brackets. One of them had Florida State in the Final Four. The other one had Texas. So uh, that was busted by that Abilene Christian law or upset, but that, that certainly propelled UCLA to, you know, advance further. Yeah. 
Yeah, that game just showed you that momentum kind of doesn't really mean much into the tournament because they yeah. were they won the Big Twelve tournament and they're mm-hmm. coming in hot. And you think, oh wow, this is definitely a team that can make it the fu- all the way to the Final Four, and who knows what happens after that? After that, but then all of a sudden they lose to Abilene Christian, and it, it, yeah, and that that was the one uh three fourteen matchup where I'm thinking there's no way the fourteen seed wins this <laughs> wins this game. And of course it ends up being the one that the actually one does that, happen. Yeah. Well the so in the last I think six years there have been three fourteen seeds to upset a three. All three three seeds were from the Big Twelve. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Um so I mean I, I think that's that's pretty much it for the the East region. UCLA ends up being the representative. Let's move on to the West region. And this is the one region where nobody's bracket was busted because everyone knew Gonzaga was the best team in the country. And they have only proved everyone right throughout the tournament is they've won every single game by double digits. They've won 27 straight games by double digits. And they, uh, I mean, coming into this, like the, the whole idea was that Gonzaga had a super easy path because they had two seed, Iowa, three seed, Kansas, four seed, Virginia, three teams teams that that they beat in the regular season by double digits. Yeah. And they got to avoid all of them because it's just all the other upsets throughout, you know, you had Ohio knocking off Virginia after Virginia just showed up uh, in Indianapolis the day before and then practice. And then Oregon gets a a free path to the round of 32 because of the unfortunate COVID situation for VCU. And then they upset Iowa. Uh, And then, and then all of a sudden they didn't have to face, uh, they didn't have to face Iowa. They didn't have to face Virginia, like you said. And then face Kansas. Yeah. And Kansas lost to USC. Yeah. Yeah. So, and like I had, I picked USC Oregon in my um, sweet 16. So like, I definitely saw that coming and I almost thought like, Oh, this maybe like one of those teams can put up a fight with Gonzaga. Cause the Trojans, they have their, uh, the Mobley twins and, or yeah, no, they're, they're not twins. They're, they're not one's twins, older than the other. Brothers, but yeah, Evan yeah. and Isaiah. I, I also had USC in my elite eight. And so I was Southern pre- Cal. the other USC, right? Sorry. The other, the USC, other USC the, actually made yeah, the women's final Four. university of Southern California. Yeah. Uh, in my elite eight, and that was that was one of the reasons why I decided to go with that dumb fourteen over three over Kansas because yeah. not just because I don't like Kansas, but it's also because I was extremely high on USC making as far as they did. So there's the combination of both. I decided to go. With did the you dumb know pick, about the Groves brothers when you picked Eastern Washington? About the what? The Groves brothers. The Groves brothers? No. For Eastern no, Washington? No. So I'll. So not really. But I was watching that game, and I'm like, they got. One dude who had this goofy hair, and yeah. they looked like dudes who'd be at the Y, but they were killing it. They out were there. awesome. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna look like a genius for this pick, but I kind of figured that they'd blow it at the end. But it was, it was kind of fun for a good, uh, what, like half a game, or like uh, it was like thirty in, into the about. like halfway through the second half. Yeah. yeah, like with like ten minutes left, it it looked it was close, but yeah, eventually they gave up the lead. But yeah, they yeah. they scored a lot of points in that game, and they looked great. Yeah. Yeah, I know Bill Self ran over to uh like the older brother after the game and like you know he's given like a little recruiting pitch for his uh grad transfer year. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, so Gonzaga's thirty and zero, two wins away from finishing off the perfect season. And like so this is something that I, I haven't heard from anyone else, but this is this is a take that I'm gonna go with. And uh I said coming into this that I didn't really want Gonzaga to go undefeated this year. And I think that if they do pull it off, it doesn't really count all that much because they'd be 32 and 0 
So Kentucky I was, would have been forty and zero if they pulled it off a few years ago. They got so their thirty second win in the SEC tournament. I'm so glad you brought this up because I was gonna say basically the same thing. Where it's like, you know what? They, they didn't. They're not gonna have a forty and zero record, like you said. They're gonna. Have, yeah. They're gonna go thirty two. It's not really in, in not a short, semi shortened, shortened season. It it's not really that real of a perfect season. So I mean, what I don't know. Were I, Indiana in 1976. I'm I'm looking it up now. I feel like they might have even won more than 32 games, and that was before they played a ton of games. Um, let's 32 let's and 0. This. They were 32 and 0. Okay, but still, that was in 1976. Only 32 teams made the tournament. They didn't play the the full schedule that we do now. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I obviously like that's not like a legitimate thing. Like they they're the best team in the country. They're gonna pull it off. But I, I do think it deserves like a little bit of an asterisk just because of the uh the not the full record that they yeah. had, they had less opportunities to get tripped up. I agree with that as well. All right, so let's uh let's move on to the South region next. And yep. yeah, so this Baylor ends up going to the Final Four as the one seed. This was one where like I said coming into it, I couldn't pick them because I I didn't want to have to root against North Carolina. And little I know the Tar Heels would just get blown out by Wisconsin in the first round anyway. And I did end up picking Ohio State to make it to the Final Four, and of course they they lose one of the best games of the tournament, to be fair, but they end up losing to 15 seed Oral Roberts, who becomes uh, one of the Cinderella stories of this year's tournament, becoming only the second 15 seed ever to advance to the Sweet 16, where they almost pulled off another upset uh, of over Arkansas. They're they're legit. They're not just they're not just some usual scrub team that, that just pulls off a random upset. They 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 played great versus Ohio State, they played great versus Florida, and they almost pull off the big upset versus Arkansas. And all three of those games were by one possession. True, and yeah, they all came down to the wire. I mean, Ohio State had a chance for three to win it. Florida had a chance to tie it, and then, they, you know, were Roberts. It was a clean look. Like, they only had three seconds to get down the court, and I'm, I'm shocked that they were able to get that kind of shot off. And Max Azemus, Jordan O'Banner are both awesome. I wish I knew more about Oral Roberts coming into the tournament because, you know, all I knew is Ben's, like, little joke about, you know, them and that, Colgate, that is, the Melth region thing. That was my exact uh, analysis on that on that team was, all right, well, Ben likes them for the the mouth the mouth region stuff. Yeah. And other than that, I don't know much about them. They they're like the best free throw shooting team in the country, and they're like a top five three point shooting team. Had I known that, I probably would have even cons- I would have been like, oh, Ohio State might lose to these guys. And uh, yeah, I mean they they certainly felt like a better fifteen seed than we're used to. And I I do think it's uh you know one shout out I'll give to Eric Musselman even though I'm not a huge fan of him because he always let me down when he was at Nevada, uh but he actually scheduled Oral Roberts during the regular season because he decided that the non conference teams he was gonna schedule would be teams that he thought would win their conference tournament just in case Arkansas ends up having to face them in the actual NCAA tournament and then it ended up happening and in both games. Oral Roberts was up big at halftime, and then Arkansas ended up coming back and pulling out the win. So, you know, good good thinking ahead by him. And I, I wonder if that's something that other coaches do. I kind of feel like that has to be a thing, uh, but it, that certainly makes it more appealing to try to schedule some of those better teams in the lower conferences just to, you know, get that opportunity to face some before you potentially face them when it really matters. Again, and, and again, they were a legit 
legit team. Like they were the second 15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16, and not one 15, not one 13 or lower seed or higher uh, has ever made the Elite Eight. Uh, so that would have been a first uh, in NCAA history for them. So that would have been pretty cool to see. But good for them for making as far as they did. Yeah, and one thing that I realized uh, as after that Ohio State upset is every 15 seed to pull off an upset over the two, except for Lehigh over Duke, I picked the two seed to make the final four. So <laughs> I can't I can't enjoy the 15 seed upset because I have them in the final four. And it's like they just totally bust my bracket and everyone else is like, oh, I love Mark. This is awesome. I'm just over here sad because, you know, I, I just lost a team that I had going deep. So always happens to me and uh you know maybe one of these days i'll be right and it'll happen to the like the 2c that i have losing in the second round but yeah um all right and then the last region the midwest region houston the 2 seed ends up advancing to the final four and this is one where like even though they're a high seed i almost feel like everyone's bracket was busted in this region because nobody had Houston. Everyone had no, Illinois. I, I, and if you didn't have Illinois, you had Oklahoma State and Kate Cunningham. Yeah, I I, I had Houston in my Elite Eight, but I wasn't picking them. And the only reason why I had them going that far is because I didn't have that much faith in any of the teams in their, not region, but their part of the region or their quadrant. And uh, yeah, and I had Loyola over Illinois, which I know is a total bias pick, just because I like the name the Ramblers, and they they made the Final Four a few but years they ago. But pull I, it off. but they, but so. yeah, and they actually pull off the upset. And I, I actually, I legitimately like watching the the Loyola Chicago Ramblers the way they play, and they, yeah, they had thirty eight points. Yeah, Cameron Cameron Cook, he's not he's definitely not the most athletic guy. He doesn't uh, look like in he college, should be but he does like he doesn't look the part. But he's. Basketball. He's a solid player. He's got a good post-up game. He made some plays in that game on the defensive end of the floor as well, and he's a good passer. I I I like that team, and I like him as well. So I so uh, it was a risk, but it was a it was a good gamble that I had my bracket. And when once that happened, and once West Virginia lost to Syracuse, and Houston being down by ten to Rutgers with what five minutes left in that game. It was wide open for Oklahoma State, uh, <laughs> and so then, I and I have I have no regrets about having them in my Final Four, but it sucks what it looked like for them at one point uh, in the tournament where it, they looked like they had a clear path to the Final Four, and then they just blow it versus yeah, the Beavers. So- verbal meme um so you know the the gif with like those two guys who were like dancing in the backseat of the car with dollar bills in their air yeah so, like that's yeah. that's everyone who had ohio o- oklahoma state in the final four at like 7 p.m on yeah and that, uh, that was Sunday me night. yeah and then it cuts over to them just staring all sad everyone at midnight after I, oklahoma state then I, also lost I, oregon state I didn't even bother watching the second half. Halfway through the first half, I knew I knew it was over. <laughs> once or once Oregon State was just nailing all their shots, and the Cowboys not playing any defense whatsoever, I I, I figured it was over. And Oregon State is another one. They were predicted to finish last in the Pac-12. They go out and they win the Pac-12 tournament. They had they to win the Pac-12. They had to. Yeah, they, that was their only way they were making the tournament. And Oregon State ended up being the team that everybody thought Georgetown would be because everyone bought into Georgetown when they won the Big East tournament, improbable victory. It was like, oh, Patrick Ewing's the head coach. This is a name I recognize. And little did we know is Oregon State who was really going to continue the run and make it all the way to the Elite Eight. And they were they were beating teams. They weren't just getting by. Like, they beat yeah, up they, on they Tennessee. Were, they beat, they beat up on Oklahoma State. They, they led the whole way against three. Loyola. 
they beat three legit teams, Tennessee, Oklahoma State, and Loyola. Those, those are three really good teams. So yeah, I, and then they fell behind to Houston, but they came all the way back, and they made it close until the end. So they uh, they had an awesome run for a 12 seed. Yeah, uh, there was a part of me that wished they they beat Houston just because Houston, they, they if you think about it, they didn't even beat it. They beat Cleveland State, Rutgers, Syracuse, and Oregon State. Yeah, when, and I guess 15, the best team. a 10, 11, and a yeah, 12. Yeah, a 10 seed's the, the hardest one they they beat. And and I guess Oregon State was the best team they technically beat given who, who they beat to get there. But I don't know. I feel like they haven't really played anyone until their upcoming matchup on Saturday. Yeah, where they get Baylor. Yeah, so yeah. Mark Titus, um, his Club Trillion, he has a, a podcast with one of the, the major networks. He um, he said before the tournament when he was like talking about Houston that Houston is who everybody thinks Gonzaga is and that they're this team from like a smaller conference who just beats up on a bunch of terrible teams, this horrible schedule, and that's why they're they're as good as they are. And it's not that they're actually a great team. And you can say, oh, well, like they're wrong. Houston made it to the Final Four. But like we said, they didn't beat anybody to get there. They got to avoid Illinois. They got to avoid Oklahoma State. They even avoided like West Virginia. So... You know, I mean, they made a solid run, but I I think this is where it ends for them. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't see them getting to the championship. And you know, it, if Oregon State did pull out that win, you know who would have had the best bracket in the entire country? Bill Who's Walton. That? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Conference of champions. Yeah, and like I'm glad though that like of the one Pac-12 team to actually make the Final Four, it was Bill Walton's alma mater, UCLA. So you know. He, Good for him getting uh, one of those picks because everyone doubted the Pac-12 heading into the tournament, and they end up with four teams going to the Sweet 16 and three to the Elite Eight. So, uh, But yeah, with that, let's get into our Final Four prediction on the men's side. So we have Baylor versus Houston, Gonzaga versus UCLA. Who you got in this? Uh, should, should I give the deficits as well or just just? I mean, if, if you want. Yeah, like, I, 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 say, I say Baylor by... A lot, <laughs> yeah. double digits. I'll just say that, and then and then Gonzaga by double digits as well. I don't yeah. see either game being a contest. I also, think I guess Baylor the Baylor Houston one will be Baylor Houston will be a little bit closer. Like I bet it'll be a little bit more competitive, uh, closer to the end of the game. But I still see both of them, both Gonzaga and Baylor, uh, pulling out pretty, pretty easy victories and facing each other in the the final. And Who then do you, do you want? Yeah, and I'm gonna stick with Gonzaga. I had him in my bracket, winning it all, and they look pretty unstoppable right now. So yeah, I I think Gonzaga Baylor will be a close one. I think that'll be you know within single digits, but I I do think that Gonzaga will ultimately win that. But I I do think it would be uh it would be really fun if Houston pulls off the upset of Baylor and Gonzaga like heading into the tournament is all this oh they never played anybody and then their tournament run ends up being Norfolk State Oklahoma Creighton Southern Cal UCLA and Houston and they end up avoiding Baylor they avoid Illinois they avoid Michigan Ohio State like all these other great teams so uh, that would that would certainly be something for the whole like oh yeah like the thirty two and zero you know doesn't count crowd um. Women's side. So just, you know, we can talk about this a little. So South Carolina has taken on Stanford in the final four. Lady Gamecocks back in it for the first time since their 2017 national championship loss. And the other side, it's UConn versus Arizona. I had, so I, I actually filled out a women's bracket. I was in a pool. Ben's also in it. Ben's going to win. I had Texas A&M losing to South Carolina in the final. And uh, Texas A&M after barely beating the 15 seed in the first round. And then, 
uh, needing a buzzer beater in the second round to beat the seven seed. They end up losing to Arizona. So at least uh, the team they lost to ended up going to the final four in their place. But I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fully expecting UConn to beat Arizona. And as much as I want the Lady Gamecocks to win, and as much as I pick them out of racket because I'm, I'm an alum, I, I do think Sanford's going to end up pulling out the win. But I'm, I'm hoping that Sanford can stop UConn in the national championship. So Stanford is better than the Gamecocks, in your opinion? They're the number one seed in the country. I don't really have anything to base it off other than that. So, like, obviously, I want the Gamecocks to win, but I'm, I mean, uh, I mean, if you want my prediction, yeah, I'll just yeah. say as long as UConn loses in the worst way imaginable. Yeah, anyone uh, but UConn. Yeah, exactly. So, if it's Stanford, that's the best team, th- th- and they're the ones facing UConn. I'll say Stanford over over UConn in a. I don't know, a, a buzzer beater that will make, give me a lot of joy. Yeah, so the UConn win over Baylor on Monday night was uh, a very, very frustrating game for me because uh, Baylor was up, and then they let UConn go on a 19-0 run, and then they kept it close the rest of the way, but they ended up losing by two, and there was a questionable no call on the last shot um, yeah, that, as that, time expired. That that whole thing was absurd. Not just the, the run that UConn made, but also the... Yeah, that that call as well. Just mm-hmm. I didn't get it. Yeah, but hey, how about Baylor? The, uh, Baylor definitely got screwed. Yeah, how about the state of uh, Minnesota and their their basketball? I saw prowess? that Jalen Suggs They're... and Paige Beckers. So, oh, okay. I, I or what? what I was thinking gonna... about something else. Never mind. But <laughs> what? What were you thinking? So, of? so you said state of Minnesota, right? Yeah. Uh, the Frozen Four. By the way, is that where it's being held? So. The Frozen or Four, what? there was one point where all four teams in the Frozen Four could have been from Minnesota. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I did I see Minnesota Duluth. Like, did they so win UMass in six overtimes? So UMass Amherst made the, the Final Four, but other than okay. that, three Minnesota teams are in so the what, Final Minnesota, Four. So Minnesota, Minnesota Duluth, and... Yeah, and oh, I forgot who the exact I feel like were. I would recognize them. It's one, like, of, one of the Elite Eight matchups was minnesota versus st cloud state, state or... yeah i think st cloud i think i yeah. think that's right like a bunch of schools and i'm like okay i know they're really good in hockey and i don't know that they're division one in any other sport yeah so when most you of them from Min- minnesota because it's, it's a hockey state just the fact that you said minnesota it brought it brought to my attention that yeah. the, the frozen four had there was one point where it was like halfway through the sweet 16 it literally could have been all four minnesota s- schools i just thought of been neat that's yeah it. that's all yeah. i wanted to bring up okay <laughs> All right, not what I was going for, but that is good to uh, cover our bases with a little college hockey as well. We're going to cover every single sport. Yep. All right, well, that, uh, that'll wrap it up for basketball and, I guess, hockey, and let's, uh, let's continue <laughs> to talk about every other sport. We talked about football earlier. Let's, uh, let's complete the trifecta with the four uh, you know, major team American sports, and that is baseball. 2021 MLB season is set to start Thursday, April 1st, the day this podcast is released with opening day. All 30 teams will be playing. And I think that baseball is really going to give us our first sense of like normalcy. And, you know, this this idea that we're kind of getting back to where we were pre-pandemic. And the big reason for that is baseball is entirely outside. All these stadiums are outdoors. So I think we're going to see a lot of crowd sizes as the, you know, the season goes on into the summer that we haven't been used to in other sports. And I think that uh, baseball is going to be a huge thing that really kind of reminds us of what life was like. And, uh, you know, as, as more 
more vaccinations start to go out as you know things start to get better ideally we can kind of start to see america's pastime be like that beacon of of uh hope that we can you know get back to way things were before march 2020 so with that let's kind of go through our our baseball season analysis and we're gonna go division by division storyline for each division and we'll give our predictions for who's going to win and any wildcard teams along the way. And let's start with the AL East. So last season, the Tampa Bay Rays wound up winning the American League pennant. Uh, they won the division. They were the top seed in the American League heading into the postseason. Uh, but the Yankees were, have been a team that we've been used to, uh, you know, being right up there. They end up making the playoffs. They put up a good fight against the Rays in the divisional round, and they are certainly looking like the favorites to win this division just based on you know, some of the other stuff that has gone on this offseason. So the, uh, the big storyline, though, with the Yankees is their health. So will the Yankees avoid the injury bug that has plagued them the past few years and hold off tough, tough competition from the Rays, the Blue Jays, or even the Red Sox to win this division? I'm not going to predict injuries, but if if you want me to predict who wins this division, yeah, you can talk about the Yankees a little, or yeah, yeah I, however I, you want to go. I about don't, it. I don't see anyone else winning the division, the this division other than the Yankees, and I think they, I I think there's should still belong in the conversation for not just winning this division, but winning the World Series. I know I've had them uh, going deep in other postseasons, probably for the past two or three seasons, and luckily, thank goodness, they haven't. Uh, haven't gotten all the way to the the World Series, and but I still think they're loaded offensively and also where they're starting pitching. Now, starting pitching is a little bit uh, of a drawback. I mean, because after Garrett Cole and Corey Kluber, it is kind of a, a drop off where they don't have Tanaka anymore, uh, and they don't have uh, Paxton. And just I'm I'm curious for your thoughts on what you think about the rest of their rotation after the the two studs and do you, if if you think uh especially someone like Jamison Tyon uh got former pitcher for the the Pittsburgh Pirates and what you think those guys can bring uh to the the rest of the rotation health is going to be the story of this team and i don't know that it's necessarily mutually exclusive that the yankees you know avoid the injury bug uh, and win the division like I, I think that they can still send a ton of guys to the IL and win this division because they've done it before they did it in 2019 they were banged up that entire year and they still won over 100 games and like you I also think that the Yankees will win this division but there are a lot of concerns with injury and the rotation is certainly part of it like you said Garrett Cole is a stud he's going to be a Cy Young contender pretty much every year for the foreseeable future after that, there are question marks. I know you said Corey Kluber. He pitched one inning last year, and that was still yeah. more than Jameson Tyone, who is coming off Tommy John surgery. He hasn't pitched in a you know real major league regular season game since May 2020. Luis Severino had Tommy John surgery last year, missed the entire season. He won't be back until the second half of the season. Domingo Herman was suspended all of last year for domestic violence. I don't know that he'll necessarily be a starter. He'll be competing in this rotation, but he's someone who there's certainly question marks about. And from there, I mean, Jordan Montgomery is the next healthy guy. And, you know, he's a, he's a Gamecock. I know he's on the Yankees, but that's, that's still a cool thing. But to me, he's a guy who's like, he's a fourth or fifth starter, and he might be your most reliable second guy. So 
I do think there are a lot of questions. Now, if Kluber can pitch anything close to what he was before injury, same with Tyone, the Yankees will be fine. They're going to be the best team, not just in the AL East, but in the entire American League. But I do think that there's a lot of reasons to be concerned about this rotation and the health of it. And the same thing you've said about the offense. Luke Voigt, he's a guy who's kind of carried this team for a while, and he's going to start the season on the IL. We know that Aaron Judge and John Carlos yeah. Sannon can be... Th- massive power threats when they're healthy but they can't stay healthy they've, i just think hurt since they arrived in the bronx so i just think with judge and stan in that lineup i feel like they can win 90 plus games with both of them being on and off the the il uh but with both of them healthy i think they can win 100 games i i that, absolutely agree with that i mean they they kept dj Mayhew, who won the batting title who i think is ago. one of the most underrated players in the yeah game. he's he's a awesome player i think you know it sucks as a red sox fan that they kept him but you know he's certainly a great player for the yankees I, i've wanted him on the red sox ever since he was with colorado and of course that didn't happen not only did that not happen he's on the team that i want to <laughs> yeah don't want him on exactly yeah and well. glaber torres is someone who like it feel still feels like he hasn't reached his like potential stardom level so he's someone who uh to watch for gary sanchez he's been disappointing but you know if he can if he can put it all together and have a solid season for the yankees i mean this this could be one of the best offenses in baseball so uh, I, I think that even with some injuries, they're going to be the uh, division champ, and really the health will determine I, how, I will, how close it comes. I will fully admit that it's mostly because their offense, their top-end pitching, and their bullpen is just Their bullpen stacked. is still very good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's stacked. Having, having Chapman in Britain mm-hmm. uh, in that bullpen is just not fair, along yep. with Chad Green. And they also added Darren O'Day, who is mm-hmm. a, a great pitcher, great reliever for the Rangers. Oh, many years so, ago. Um, after the Yankees, do you have any wild cards from this division? Yeah, I actually do. And unfortunately, it's not the Red Sox. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I kind of like the Blue Jays to, to squeak in a wild card spot uh, with the addition of uh, George Springer, which is obviously huge for them. But you also get another year of Vlad Guerrero Jr., who I think is only going to get better. And their rotation is, is not the best rotation, but... They got they have some good players, uh, good pitchers in the rotation with uh, Hun Jin Ryu, who is obviously a, a starter a for the Dodgers years year. ago, and yeah, and I they have he finished like second or third, yeah, yeah, and they have Tanner Rourke and Steven Matz as well. It's like so, it's not Tanner Pearson. He's like one of the best like young starting pitching prospects in the league as well. Yeah, so they're not a loaded rotation, but I think that the their offense and their pitching is a good enough is good enough to get to a wild card and get 90 plus wins i'm curious how their situation will will work with not being able to play in toronto and being and playing down in uh, i think it's in florida i'd imagine yeah, in dundon they're they're playing at their spring training site for the first couple months and then they're planning us to go to buffalo whenever the weather gets too hot yeah so so I like um, them in the wild, as a wild card. I also like the Blue Jays as a wild card. You mentioned Vlad Guerrero Jr. You can't forget the other major leaguer sons with Kevon Biggio yeah, and Yeah, Craig, Craig Biggio and Dante Bichette's sons. All yep. three all three of them are on a team while we used to watch their dads play baseball. Just makes yep. me feel old. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very high on the Blue Jays this year. I wouldn't be shocked if the Rays make the playoffs, but I think trading Blake Snell... Is, uh, not, it's a tough not, loss. Not I, having, I think they're going to take a step back this year. Not having Blake Snell or Charlie Morton. True, Charlie Morton will, as well. I'd imagine will hurt their rotation. Yep. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, I know that Tyler Glasnow is great, but I don't know that he can be the, you know, their their main number one guy without any other help, and you know, them have a a great rotation still. So, and then when it comes to the the Red Sox, uh, I think their offense will be fine. Uh, I'm not. My expectations are not super high. I just don't want them to yeah. suck. That's all I I'm know. asking for. Just, just yep. don't be irrelevant. Don't. I, they, <laughs> their, their first six of six of the, six of their first nine games are against the Orioles. I think. Yeah. You can't come out of the gate and suck against the Orioles. If because no, they do, have to you, start off strong. Yeah, you have to have a, a good a strong start. You don't need to make the playoffs. Just given what their roster ro- looks like right now, just just be just be relevant. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah, my expectations of the Red Sox will be somewhere around 500. I it would also be nice to see them, you know, in the playoff race for a while. But I'm, uh, you know, my expectations are definitely low. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the AL Central, and this is a division in recent years that's been dominated by Minnesota and Cleveland. But last season, they were joined in the expanded postseason by the Chicago White Sox. So the White Sox this offseason made headlines for. You know, you can debate whether it's a good or bad reason by hiring Tony La Russa 10 years after he last managed uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals. And the uh, big storyline for the AL Central is, will Tony La Russa help the young and exciting White Sox take the next step? So the the thing with the White Sox is, if I'm looking at what I don't like about them, it is the manager. We yeah. talked about that several episodes, several months ago. Probably about how much we, times. About how much we didn't like the managerial move. But other than that, uh, I like the White Sox to win the division. So I guess the answer is yes to that question. <laughs> uh, but yeah, even though I don't like the managerial move, I do like their, I do like how their team is looking right now. We got... Uh, Ben's favorite player in Dallas Keuchel in the rotation. They also added Lance Lynn and Jose Abreu had a, <laughs> I mean, I'll admit, I don't, I did not pay too much attention to last year's uh, MLB season, but it's, it kind of surprises me that Jose Abreu uh, won MVP last year. Yeah. He and was then, awesome last year. Yeah. And I feel like Yoman Mankata, he's going to eventually really break out at some point. Uh, Tim Anderson's probably, Arguably the best on base guy, would you say that, or like one of the best leadoff hitters? Yeah, oh, he's definitely up there. He's yeah. he's one of the more exciting players in all of baseball. He yeah. might not even be the most exciting guy in his team with Luis Robert out in yeah. center field. And then I I really liked Adam Eaton when he was with the Nationals a couple years ago when they won it all, and so I think he's a good a good piece on their team as well. So I'm I'm pretty high on the White Sox winning the division. So I was really high on the White Sox, you know, dating back to December when they acquired Lance Lynn and Adam Eaton. And I, I was fully prepared to not just pick them to win the AL Central, but to represent the American League in the World Series. And then a few days ago, Eloy Jimenez uh, got injured in the outfield. Kind of a, a stupid thing um, that happened to him when he, I think he like separated his shoulder or something, but he's going to miss almost the entire season, if not the entire season. And that really spooks me. It just feels like that's a bad premonition for what's going to come in Chicago. I still think they'll be a wild card, but the Minnesota Twins have won this division in the past couple seasons. I think that that Bomba squad is going to continue to have success this year. I know they didn't do a ton this offseason to improve their roster. They did keep Nelson Cruz, but I do expect them to uh, you know, continue to take a step forward. And it is pretty cool that Randy Dubnak, uh, you know, one of their, their pitchers who's uh, – 
he was driving an Uber, uh, you know, a few off seasons ago to make money while in the minor leagues. He just signed a nice five-year extension for nine million dollars. So, I'm, uh, you know, I'm happy for him. I think that's a, a good story as opposed to the Eloy Jimenez story. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Minnesota to win the Central this year. But like I said, I have the White Sox as a wild card. Do you have anyone else in the Central making the playoffs? I do not. I just have the White Sox. Okay. That's it. Yeah, Cleveland is one where like I can see their rotation getting them there, but I don't know that they have the I, offense. I, I it's, don't, it's a shame that they having, traded not, Lindor. Yeah, not having Lindor and Carrasco, I'd imagine, yep. will hurt their chance, their playoff chances. I'm sure they'll be a solid 500 team, but I, I don't know mm. how they make the playoffs losing those guys. Yep. All right, so that'll uh, move on to the AL West. And the A's won the division last year. The Astros made the playoffs despite finishing below 500, and they actually beat the A's and wound up going to the ALCS and were a game away from the World Series. And there's a third team that has always been a story in the AL West, and yet they haven't won the division in seven years now, and that is the Los Angeles Angels. Despite having the best player in baseball in Mike Trout, a lot of exciting guys on that roster, they have uh, continued to struggle. And even in a year where more than half the teams made the field, the Angels still found themselves on the outside looking in. So the big storyline heading into the season for the AL West is, will the Angels finally crack the postseason picture, or will they waste another year of Mike Trout's prime? So you will probably disagree with me on this, but I'm going to say they squeak into the playoffs this year. Now, I'm not saying they're okay. going to win the division, but I think they can still get the a wild card spot uh, with the team that they have. And it's a matter of time, I feel like, uh, for Mike Trout to get finally get back into the postseason. And I like that they added Rendon, Anthony Rendon last season. And they also got Jose Iglesias, who I'm, I think that's... I think that combination of those two is going to really help their uh, infield uh, defensively. And they also have uh, Justin Upton and Dexter Fowler in their outfield. So I think that's a great outfield. And then for their pitching, yeah, their pitching is what really holds them back. But I think I think a lot of it has been a little bit of bad luck and not, not just injuries, but also the other incident that I won't mention. Uh and they also added Jose Quintana, who I think can help. And Shohei Otani has uh, had his, he's dealt with his fair share of uh, past injuries, but I th- I think a full year with him, whether if it's pitching or batting or whatever, uh, I think it should help as well. I think I think the Angels, yeah, like I said, I think their rotation has mostly sucked, but I also think it's a little bit of bad luck with injuries and other things as well. Uh, so I think I think the Angels can get to the postseason in a wild as a wild card not as a division winner i still think the astros even with verlander uh not uh being able to come back until later in the year and not having george springer i know those those things are going to hurt the astros and along with also fans possibly booing them and uh banging on their own trash cans i'm sure that will true i know fans are ready fans haven't done that yet so i'm sure they'll be ready this year Uh, but i still think the astros are they they should still be the favorites in this division. They should still win 90, 95 games or so. So 
I think that the only way the Angels can make the playoffs is if Shohei Otani finally reaches his full potential, he stays healthy, and he's successful both on the mound and at the plate and has an MVP caliber season. My thing with the Angels is, other than him and Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon, nothing really excites me about this team. You mean you're not excited about 41-year-old Albert Pujols? (laughs) No, Albert Albert Pujols, yeah. Well, is he really 41? There is a... Talks that he just, might be even older than he I, is. I, I just guessed. I'm <laughs> no, like there's they're like there's a uh, former former GM uh, when he was signed said that they thought he was actually three years older than he was. So oh, he might wow. really be like 44. Yeah, no, it, which honestly it says kind of 41. Makes sense with his, I know that's yeah, it might not be real. Um, but yeah, he uh, he's definitely washed at this point. Justin Upton is kind of getting close to there. He's posted a negative war the past couple of years. Jose Iglesias, I mean, he's a solid signing at shortstop, yeah. but I think that there were, there were other guys that it would have been more exciting to see them get. And uh, just in terms of their pitching, you talked about it. Dylan Bundy's going to open day starter. I know he was pretty solid last year after being terrible with the Orioles, but that doesn't really excite me. After that, I mean, Andrew Heaney and uh, who else? You said Jose Quintana they brought in. They they traded for Alex Cobb. Maybe getting him out of Baltimore as well can uh, be solid for his career. But I really think that the pitching is going to continue to hold them back. Rizal Iglesias is a great addition as a closer, but having a great closer only means so much if you're if you're winning at the end of games. And I think that the offense will need to do too much. So ultimately, I think the Angels finish in third place behind Houston and Oakland. I'd also like the Astros to win the division. I mean, the, the Astros last year, all their hitters sucked, and they still went to the They had ALCS. a losing record. They almost made the World Series. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it, you know, I, I say it should be impossible for all three of Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa to not, you know, get back a little bit of uh, their their prowess. Of course, we, we do know they had the whole banging trash cans thing, and there's, uh, you know, some asterisks with some of their numbers, but I, I do think that the Astros are going to be much better, and I think Oakland's still going to be a pretty solid team. I know they lost Marcus Simeon and Liam Hendricks in the offseason to free agency, but I, I think that they'll also finish ahead of the Angels. Um, you know, I... I kind of want to be high on the Angels. I want to see Mike Trout in the postseason, but I just I'm I will just fully not. admit it's that part of it is because I w- I'm looking for a dark horse team, and part of it's also because hey, he's the best player in the game. Yeah, about let's try to get him, uh, showcase his skills in the biggest biggest uh, you stage. You know, it, it's got to happen one of these years. So I, let's... I, I th- I'm I'm holding out hope that their rotation won't totally stink. I, I think it yeah. could be good enough. If it's good enough, then you're right. That's the thing, but I, I don't know. I don't know how good enough it has to be. So the uh, the NL East, let's move on to the other league. So the Mets made a ton of headlines this year, both good and bad reasons. Uh, you know, of course, pulling in a new owner, Steve Cohen, trading for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. Uh so will the headline-grabbing offseason for the long-beleaguer Mets pay off in October? I'm going to say yes. I, 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 I'm I pretty high on the Mets in this division. I I have them winning it. Uh, so two years ago, we saw the Nationals win it all, and I, I, I believe that a lot of it had to do with their starting rotation, and I think the Mets' starting rotation is awesome. Uh, Jake... Jacob DeGrom, of course, probably the best pitcher in baseball. And then having Stroman and Carrasco as a one, two, three punch is great. And then they'll have Noah Syndergaard by what, mid July or so. Yeah, I think sometime mid Middle of middle of the season. So having those four uh to round out your 
rotation is pretty sweet. And then, of course, they got Francisco Lindor in a trade with the Indians, who I think is going to uh, be a game changer in their in their lineup. And then they also have some solid power as well with not just Peter Alonso, but also uh, Michael Confort- uh, Conforto as well. And so I think... I th- I think with the the moves that the Mets have made this offseason, I'm I'm pretty high on them winning the division. See, the Mets should be great, and I want to pick them to win the division, but I I just I can't feel like they haven't fully become the team that you know that like they fully separated from the team that they have been. I I and- so I will fully admit that I don't want to go chalk in all these picks, and I, I know that the Mets are pretty much a choking team outside of the, uh playing the 86 Red Sox. I will admit that. I'm I'm sure whenever it whether it's division in the regular season or in the playoffs, they will probably eventually blow it at some point. I, but I just think their rotation is too good to not be a contender for the division. Especially so, and then adding Lindor, of course. I think now, and I I want to agree with that, but I'm just looking at all of the negative stuff from their offseason. I mean, they had their they fired their GM, Jared Porter, who they just hired a month earlier because he turned out to be a giant creep. Steve Cohen, their owner, was forced to quit Twitter just after being harassed for uh being anti like GameStop and uh, like all those other meme stock trades and then part of that short squeeze. They celebrated winning the World Series during spring training. They practiced doing that. That just feels like bad luck. And then, of course, the latest thing, I know we mentioned Francisco Lindor, how great that is. They've had no progress on extension talks with him, and it, it feels like that at this point it's not going to happen before the season starts. Just a lot has been going wrong for the Mets, and I know a lot ha- was going right, but I, I, just, I think they're going to miss the playoffs, and I hate to say it, but I think something is going to go wrong, and I think the Braves are going to win the division again, and the Nationals are going to get in as a wild card, and the Mets will find themselves in third place, and we'll just be wondering, when will this ever end? When will things ever get better for this team? So you mentioned uh, Nationals as a wild card. I also have the Nationals as a wild card. Like I said, just talking about the Mets, they also have a great rotation. Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin were great in their World Series run. And I know John Lester is out of his prime, but having him as your fourth starter feels like a steal. And mm-hmm. then their bullpen is pretty good. They added Brad Hand, and Daniel Hudson is a solid closer. And Will Harris, he's helped the he's helped the Nationals when even when he wasn't on the Nationals. So I think that's uh, I think having those guys in their bullpen is big. And then I think Juan Soto is. Uh, a contender for MVP this year. Yeah, he's my prediction to win MVP. Yeah, so I, I will also say the same thing. I think he can. I think he's going to win MVP, and I don't know if Triple Crown is in uh, is realistic, he, but I think, I, I think it's realistic for sure. He hit three forty five last year. See, my thing is the RBIs. How? Yeah, that's how, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm 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 certain that he can hit for over three hundred and have uh, forty plus home runs, maybe even fifty. But I don't. I guess RBIs is what I wonder if if the rest of the offense can pick it up. Uh, I I I like I love Trey Turner. Uh, Kyle Schwarber was definitely a good uh, uh, addition to to their offense, and also Josh Bell, former Pittsburgh Pirate, uh, mm-hmm. and and then Ryan Zimmerman. He 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 was a COVID opt out last season, and I'm curious what he's going to look like this year as well. So I'm not 
So yeah, I'm I'm high on the Nationals making another postseason appearance, and so yeah, that leaves the Braves out for me. And it's it's not that I think the Braves stink or anything. They they're definitely they definitely have some loaded pieces on offense, especially Freddie Freeman. I'm just trying to be a little bit bold. That's that's yeah, that's no, really that's, all it is. That's I fair. I uh, I mean the the Braves should have made the World Series last year. Ronald Acuna Jr. is a star. They have Christian Pash as and Ian Anderson. You know their center fielder and their starting pitcher. They could both win Rookie of the Year. Uh, I mean they they brought back Marcelo Zuna. So I think that the Braves are going to be a, a loaded team again this year. But I mean the NL East is th- probably th- the th- toughest th- division. They're the it's the best division. Make the playoffs. It's the best division. I can see all three of those teams winning 90-plus games. Yep. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the NL Central. And, you know, this is a division where there's not many people predicting anyone to win 90-plus games as uh, this entire division was basically losing guys rather than gaining anyone. So uh, that's gotten a lot of people to be really down on this division. So the big storyline is, will someone emerge as a true contender in what some are dubbing the NFC East of baseball? <laughs> wow, that's harsh. Uh, I'm not super high on this division either, but if I were to pick a team that I think can make a run, can make a run, I would, I would say the St. Louis Cardinals. I think adding Nolan Arenado is, is of course a a, a big move for them. Uh, that can help uh, not just offensively but defensively as well, and they have a solid rotation. Jack Flaherty uh, leading their rotation, and and they also have Adam Wainwright still, who I know is anxious. He's been but, great in spring training. Yeah, uh, I think just the fact that he's looking in spring training, I think, is is a positive sign for them. And they have other pretty good pieces on offense as well with uh, uh, Paul Goldschmidt and Yadi Molina as well. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I don't love anyone in this division, but if I had to pick one, I would say the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm also going with the Cardinals, basically because they added Nolan Arenado. That's and really no that's the really my added take. Anybody. Yeah, yeah. The the Cubs decided that you know they got rid of Kyle Schwarber. They traded you Darvish. They it seems like there's a good chance they're going to end up moving on from at least one of Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bias, and Hav- Chris Bryant, Chris Bryan and, and, Javi and Bias yeah, Javier Bias. Yeah, so uh, the Cubs are are definitely far away from that 2016 World Series team. I mean, if I had to pick another team, if I wanted to mix it up, which I'm not going to change it, I would go with the Brewers just because Christian Yelich is still one of the best players in baseball. And they have, uh, I mean, they're they're a team that has made the playoffs in the past few seasons. They took the Dodgers to seven games in the NLCS a few years ago. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going with the Cardinals. I don't think it'll be pretty. I don't think any team in this division wins 90 games. I think and Cardinals can get to ninety, but tops and and my yeah, prediction is eighty-eight wins. Yeah, another reason why I'm picking them is because I don't really like anyone else in this division. Like you said, the Cubs they're trending they're trending down. The the Reds and Pirates are just not good. No, <laughs> and then no, and- I, yeah, if if I were to pick another team, I probably would also say the Brewers. And a lot of it is, of course, because they have Christian Yelich. Yeah, it's frustrating that this is like the worst division in baseball and there's still nobody giving the Pirates a chance because, I mean, they, they <laughs> sold a bunch of the team. They're in rebuild mode, and I'm, I'm excited. I think Cabrian Hayes is going to win NL Rookie of the Year. That's the one one positive thing I have to say. He was awesome last September when he was called up. He is uh, he's awesome in the field, and he's great at the plate. So I'm, uh, I'm very excited to see what he does in a full season, but 
yeah, after that, it's just kind of hoping that some of these young guys can can do something and make themselves look like they'll be a part of the future. But that's uh, that's really what I'm holding on to. Kumar Rocker, or Jack Leiter, first pick in the draft in July. That's uh, that's going to be the highlight of the season for the Pirates. All right, so let's uh, let's finish up our last division here. That is the NL West, and it's going to be a two-team race. Padres made a ton of moves in the offseason. The Dodgers just won the World Series after being the best team in baseball, and they went ahead and signed Trevor Bauer, the top free agent pitcher. So the storyline heading into this division for the season is, will the loaded Padres be able to compete with a Dodgers team that can be historically great? Compete, yes. I think they can win over 90 games and contender for the division. Do I think they'll win the division? No, because I think the Dodgers are just the most loaded team in in baseball and that mm-hmm. was before they even added Trevor Bauer to their rotation and then they add him and it, it's it, David Price is in their bullpen now he's a long reliever <laughs> yeah <laughs> a 30 million dollar <laughs> long reliever so as bad as that contract looks it it was still worth taking him on to get bets which uh certainly helped them win the world series last year and it's not just bets it's Bellinger uh, Corey, Corey Seager. Seager they Justin could all Turner. win MVP. Yeah. yeah they, like, they're they're way too good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Top I, to bottom. I so, think both of these teams will make the playoffs. I could see the like, Padres winning 105 games and still coming in second place. <laughs> That's how good the Dodgers are. And I, I know like the one of the bold predictions being thrown out is that the Dodgers will win 110 games. And like that doesn't even all feel like all that bold. I, I think that the Dodgers will no, easily I, win 100. I don't know if they'll get to 110, though, but I, I do fully expect the Dodgers to win this division. I think the Padres will be very good, and yet they'll still finish like 10 games back because that's how good the Dodgers are. Yeah, that's that's basically my reasoning as well. It's not that the Padres are bad. They're obviously great, and they're an up-and-coming team, but they they have to deal with the Dodgers in their division, so that's why I have them. I have the Dodgers in the winning division, but I, of course, have the Padres as a wild card. Yeah, this reminds me of the 2015 NL Central, kind of, when the, the, the Cardinals, Pirates, and Cubs were the three best teams in the league, and they were all in the same division. So you had the Cardinals win the division, the Cubs face each face the Pirates in the one-game series, and the 98-win Pirates get knocked out after one playoff game, and then the 97-win Cubs beat the 99-win Cardinals in the uh, NLDS. And the Dodgers and Padres are very likely to face each other in the NLDS, assuming that one of them is the best team and the other one wins that wild card game. So it's uh, it's unfortunate that we'll have to see one of them go out early like that, but it'll definitely be one of the more exciting things to see um, you know, with this young Padres team going up against this loaded World Series champion Dodgers team. All right, so with that, let's give our World Series prediction. So I'll let you start off. Who's going to be in it from the AL and the NL? All right, so I feel it'd be way too easy to say Dodgers and Yankees. Uh, I'm still going to stick with the Yankees out of the American League, but for the National League, I'll go a little bit bold, and you'll probably hate this since you didn't even have them in the playoffs, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the World Series as a Subway Series. I'll say Yankees-Mets. And then I'll okay. say the Yankees win because the Mets will find a way to blow it. And the Yankees, I, I still think they're knocking on the door uh, from winning a World Series title. And as a pessimistic Red Sox fan, last year was pretty bad giving up your best player to the Dodgers and them winning the World Series. What could be worse? Having your biggest rival win the very next year. So as a pessimistic Red Sox fan and being pretty high on the Yankees, I'll say Subway Series and... 
and Yankees win it all. All right. Well, I'm going to go even bolder than you for oh, the World wow. Series. I'm so pumped to hear this then. I've picked the Dodgers a lot. And they, yeah, and I have too. <laughs> they've made it a lot. Yeah. Uh, but they finally won it last year. I feel like something is going to go wrong this year. And I don't think they're going to make it from that, the that, National that's my That's my thought as well. Is like, hey, you won it all but in a shortened season. Can you really do it in a longer season? And th- even be- before they won the World Series, they yeah, they've had 100-plus win seasons. And they've always been loaded, but they've always find a way to blow it, whether that's in the NLCS or the World Series. So I can see them bl- just... Just at a total guess, just blowing it based on recent they history. They almost did last year. They needed to come yeah. back from three to one down to win the NLCS. So, and uh, in the American League side, I just don't want to pick the Yankees. I've picked them before to go to the World Series. They haven't been since 2009. So, uh, I'm gonna go off the beaten path with a bold one here, and it's bold for you know a, a big reason, which I'll kind of get to. So, uh, what what would you say is the greatest World Series of all time? I don't know if you can throw out a reasonable guess here, but I don't. I, I, I mean, Diamondbacks, Yankees, just to get the way that ended, or any walk off uh, in a game seven is pretty cool. Oh, or Cubs, Indians was pretty cool. Uh, okay. I mean, Red Sox, Cardinals, of course, I enjoyed biased reasons, but I honestly, I have no idea what is it. What so. ESPN has ranked this one as the best one multiple times when they've gone through the best World Series ever. So I feel pretty is confident it the, of this Is one. it Kirby Puckett and the, the 1991, Twins? 1991. Yeah. There were five five games separated by one run. Four games went to extra innings, including Game 7, which was decided on a walk-off. And who was that between? The Minnesota Twins and the Atlanta Braves. I'm going with Twins and the Braves. And this is extra bold because the Twins haven't won a playoff game since 2002. They've lost 18 in a row. And the Braves always find a way to disappoint in the postseason like they did last year, blowing a 3-1 to lead in the NLCS. I think that the Twins break through. The Bomba squad, their power, just edges the Yankees in the ALCS. And I think that the Braves get revenge on the Dodgers in the NLCS this year. And those two teams meet in the World Series. And, uh, I mean, I wasn't going to make a prediction, but I guess if it gets to this point i would say atlanta just because i'm a little more confident in their chances getting to the world series over minnesota but this is my totally bold one and i know that neither is i thought mine was the playoffs because i said that (laughs) i love i love that how the teams we have coming out of the national league we're vice versa on them being in the world series and and then missing the playoffs which you don't have either of my teams in the world series making the playoffs. no so I just wanted right. to be bold a little bit. I don't want to just go, oh, the Dodgers, they're Dodgers, good. Yankees, let's, yeah. Yeah, right. let's pick them. Like, No, no I want to go I, I a little agree. bit. I want to go um, a little bit different. And I think that's the way to go. So, All right, let's, uh, let's continue the baseball talk, but in a totally different setting, and that is in our top five. So we, uh, we are huge fans of baseball movies. We haven't done a top five movie countdown since the you know 2020 so it's it's been a few months now but we're ready to get back into it uh by counting down our favorite baseball movies in today's top five not two not three not four top five top five top five so we uh we talked about this at the you know the beginning of the episode how this is a pretty tough one for us because there are so many great baseball movies it's tough to narrow it down to just five and because of that i really took this seriously and i watched most of my movies in my top five literally in the past couple days just to make sure that i was i was putting uh, as great of a list together as possible 
Um, so I'm, I'm ready for this one. Brian, I'll let you get started with your number five. So I told you this before we, we started. My, my one through four, I already knew I was going to have those four in my top five. But my number five one, I had a, a sort of a tough time with because, like you said, there are so many good baseball movies. And I had a lot of uh, choices to choose from. And I'll, I will talk about those after we do our top five. But for my number five, I feel like it would have been wrong to leave this one out. And that is 42 which is, of course, the movie that stars uh, uh, Chadwick Boseman, Boseman. who plays the role of Jackie Robinson. And it's obviously a movie about uh, his story with the Brooklyn Dodgers and breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball. And it's a very inspirational film and uh, just fights racism, and just, it's a great movie. It and it's obviously a a big historical one uh, in in the sport of baseball and just life in general. And I I enjoyed it. So that was my number five choice. Yeah, I haven't seen Forty Two since I saw it in theaters. I mean, I remember liking it, but I don't remember loving it. So that was one that's that why I didn't I didn't put it in conversation here. But that, I, I had a feeling you would have it in. That's your top why five. I had it as number five. Like, did I love? This movie, mm-hmm. not maybe not really, but I I did enjoy it, and uh, there are definitely some quotes that are memorable. Like I remember there was one where Pee Wee Reese came up to Jackie Robinson, he had his arm over his shoulder, and it's like, hey, maybe one day we'll all wear forty two, and like that's that's kind of cool. And so <laughs> yeah, uh, so I I feel like I had to put it in, in the top five. No, it's absolutely so. So for my number five. This is one that I also kind of feel like I had to put on my list, and that is Bull Durham. This is a 1982 romantic comedy starring Kevin Costner. He plays Crash Davis, who is a, a longtime minor league catcher who is brought into the Durham Bulls Class A team in the Carolina League to uh, try to turn their star young rookie pitcher, Eddie Calvin... Uh, played Eddie by Calvin Tim, Lelouch. Played by Tim Robbins. Nuke, yes. And uh, he's a, a star pitcher, but he's he's very erratic on the mound and uh, arguably even more erratic off the field. So yeah. Crash Davis, is he's coming in to try to reel him in, and they end up in a uh, little love triangle involving Sarah Sanderson's Annie Savoy, who is like a groupie for the baseball team. And this is a movie that, I really wanted to put in my top five. I watched it on Monday for the second time and I wanted to put it higher and I, I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And it got to the point where I was almost wondering, is this really even in my top five? Now, Bull Durham is a movie that if you look up any like greatest sports movie list written by like a, someone who's 40 plus years old, Bull Durham is probably going to be number one. It's Sports Illustrated's number one sports movie. It's the uh, highest reviewed sports movie on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a movie that, you know, my parents love, all of their friends love it. And I think it's a really great baseball movie. It's very intelligent. You can tell that the people who were making it really know the game. They're familiar with all of the, you know, the lingo and all the stuff that goes on in the locker room and on the mound. And I think it's it's a really cool movie, but it's definitely not one that I love and appreciate as much as a lot of people do. This is one of my dad's favorite baseball movies. I... I 
I should ask him like what if if he were to make a list like where he would put this, but I I'd imagine it would be up there. Uh, yeah, for, for him because he liked the movie more than I did, and it's not that I didn't like the movie. It's it it's one of my honorable mentions. Yeah, and I I don't know what it is if we're just too young to fully appreciate it or something, but for whatever reason, everyone thinks that this is like the greatest sports movie yeah. ever. So, uh, one thing, one cool thing I'll say. So they, there's a scene in the movie where one of the players, like one of the opponents, hits a home run off of a bull out in the outfield, and the one Durham Bulls game I went to down here. The, uh, so the Durham Bulls Athletic Park also has a bull where if a player hits it, they win a stake. And uh, the the one game I went to, Willie Adamas, who's now the starting shortstop for the Tampa Bay Rays, hit the bull in like the first or second inning. So wow, that's I cool. thought that was kind of cool. Yep. So yeah, number five, Bull Durham. All right. So for my number four, I went with The Sandlot. And that's a movie about a kid named Smalls who moves to the the a new neighborhood and is struggling to make friends, and he manages to make friends with uh, a group of other kids uh, who play baseball at the Sandlot. And in the movie, it's a little bit of a spoiler if you haven't seen it, but uh, they need a <laughs> they need uh, a baseball to play with since they ran out. And he's like, "Yeah, let me go get. I have one at my house. Let me go get it." And it's a it's his stepdad's baseball, and it's signed by Babe Ruth. And and then all of a sudden it gets hit over the fence and he's like, oh, that was my my stepdad's ball. And it was signed by someone, some guy named Baby Ruth. Babe Ruth. <laughs> and they, and the they're like, oh, Bambino. we got to yeah, we gotta, we gotta get that ball back. And uh, I, I love the I love the friendship between everyone and and not just trying to get the ball back, but also the uh, when they go to the amusement park and they have tobacco and they. Uh, and they have s'mores and uh, share the scary story about the beast. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I, I love the Sandlot. It's a great movie. Yeah, it is also my number four. It is a great movie. You don't have to love baseball to love the Sandlot. So I said I watched most of the movies, um, you know, right before this. So this is the only one I didn't watch, but it was actually the first movie I watched on Disney Plus when that came out back in November 2019. And that was actually a couple weeks before I made the video, um, you know, to introduce the uh, greatest sports moment of the 2010s bracket. And that was what inspired me to put the little part about um, heroes get remembered, but legends never die, which is what Babe Ruth tells Benny Rodriguez when he, he appears to him in a dream right before that climactic scene where Benny, you know, hops over the fence to get yeah. the ball. So I, I, also, I also love the scene where uh, uh, Squints, uh, and Wendy Peppercorn, yeah, <laughs> and his and his iconic and his for crush sure. for crush on her, which is also great. Uh, yeah, so. this is it's a great movie, definitely quotable. Uh, You're killing me, Smalls. So that's that's a big yeah. One, so <laughs> that that's also that's also uh, one of the one of the great quotes as well. So yeah, we both we both had uh the uh, the San Lies our number four. So I'll get to my number three. My number three, I've had this in a top five before, but I don't remember what exactly what it was, but it's the rookie, uh, which stars Dennis Quaid. Uh, he plays uh, Jim Morse, a high school teacher who coaches the baseball team, and it's actually a, it's a true story um, about a coach who discovers that it's never too late to uh, reach his dream of becoming a major league baseball pitcher. And he he talked it with his team uh, one time in the middle of the season when they were struggling and wanting things in life and having dreams. And 
the players told him like, Hey, you, we, we, we see that you have all this talent, uh, uh, throwing, uh, throwing baseball pitches to us. So how about if we win a state championship, you have to go try out, uh, go to a tryout and we win the state championship. And he tries out for the, the Tampa Bay devil race and, he he makes it uh on their in their minor league roster and climbs up all the way to the major, the majors and I, uh, I'm a huge fan of the movie it's, and definitely has an emotional emotional ending as well. So, that's my number three. Yeah, that's a really good one. I haven't seen that one in years. I I I thought you would end up putting it on your top five, so I didn't bother watching it to see if it could squeeze into mine. But I do remember it being a great great story. Uh, so my number three is a movie that definitely does not belong on any legitimate top five baseball movies list but i can't help myself with this one and that is fever pitch uh, i i knew you're gonna put this movie yeah, yeah hey i i i held off from putting it as my number one uh and this is one where i've, I've had in a top five before a couple years ago we did our top five romantic comedies and even then i was like i can't put it as number one because i know i would not appreciate it if it was about any other team but the fact that it stars, you know, the Boston Red Sox, and in particular the 2004 Red Sox, the team that reversed the curse, it just—it's always going to be one of my favorite baseball movies. I have a tradition every year where I watch it, just uh, usually the Sunday before opening day, just to get ready for the season. It stars Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. They have a love story. So Jim, Jimmy Fallon's character Ben Reitman is a teacher who has season tickets to the Red Sox, absolutely loves the team, is obsessed with them, and it complicates his uh, new relationship with workaholic Lindsay. And it's, uh, I mean, it's like a fine love story, but, you know, really what it comes down to is just the fact that it's all about the Red Sox. And, of course, the ending, they had to rewrite because they didn't think the Red Sox would uh, would do what they did. They thought they'd lose in the playoffs, but, of course, they pull off the greatest comeback in sports history by... Uh, winning four in a row against the Yankees, they win the World Series, and just has that great ending. Of course, it has a lot of uh, awesome Boston songs from Fenway, like uh, you know "Dirty Water," "Sweet Caroline," "Tessie." So it's it's a it's a great movie if you're a Red Sox fan. I yeah, don't, I, I'm sure the, Yankees fans hate it. I'm sure see, most other fans don't care. But. See, the thing is, if I if I weren't a Red Sox fan, I probably wouldn't even like this movie. But all the Red Sox stuff is definitely my favorite part of this movie. When, especially when he's a kid. Uh, in the very beginning yep. of the movie, and his his uh, uncle or or yeah, whoever, his uncle yeah, his uncle brings him to a Red Sox game, and it just Uncle Carl yeah, and I don't know I I like the just the fact that it's about the Red Sox that's really yep. what it is for me and probably you as well yeah oh that's a hundred percent Al <laughs> Waterman's a fun character sells sponges right I love the part when she uh Drew Barrymore's character goes to a game with with uh, Jane Fallon's character and she reads the booklet and she's like. Who's Carl Yuzes? And and everyone just goes <laughs> Yastrzemski. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of funny just scenes in that one. Just making her look dumb. Yeah. Uh, or when like, she gets hit by the foul ball. Oh by yeah, Miguel Tejada <laughs> just nails it. And they show like the the highlights on Fox uh, later. They're watching it when she has like a pee bag on her bed, and you just yeah. see uh, you know Jimmy Fallon's character like high fiving the guy who catches the ball, and it cuts away as she <laughs> realizes that she's totally knocked out. Yeah, and having so. Yankee having Yankee toilet paper would be pretty cool as well. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason you can't have it. Yeah. All right, so for my number two, I went with a movie called A League of Their Own, and it's not a exact true story, but it's based on true events. Uh, it takes place during the the World War II era, where uh, the a lot of the young men baseball, athletic baseball players, they're 
off to off fighting the war as well. And so uh, they America decides to have a, a professional all female baseball league uh, that springs up in the Midwest, and it stars Gina Davis who plays Dottie Henson, and she's a great character as well in, in that movie, as well as uh, Tom Hanks who's probably my favorite actor and he plays the manager in uh, Jimmy Dugan in that movie. And he has the famous also, quote, uh, he has the famous quote, you crying. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> and so I love that scene. And uh, I just love the story of, of the female players and teammates uh, coming together and, and having, and having their bond. And it, it's, and it also has an emotional ending as well, where they all, meet each other in the baseball hall of fame where they open up the the wing where it shows the female baseball league and which i thought was pretty cool as well and and i remember seeing that uh that part as well when i when i was younger and i went to the cooperstown hall of fame baseball hall of fame and and going through that wing was also was pretty cool and i also got to meet uh a couple of the players uh when they were still alive uh like about 10 15 years ago when I went to a shri- place called uh, the shri- Shriners for the biggest uh, baseball card uh, uh, thing for it in Massachusetts. And uh, a couple of the players were actually there and you, and you could meet them and, and not just them, but also a lot of the other famous baseball players and Red Sox players. And it was cool meeting them as well. So uh, it, it, de- it definitely deserves to be high on the list. So I put it at this number two. That's really cool. I didn't know that you actually got to meet some of them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I couldn't tell. Like, they're definitely yeah. like in their eighties or nineties, but it was it was mm-hmm. definitely sweet meeting them. Yeah, so I had never seen a league of their own until Sunday, and this was a movie where I was like, I have to watch it because I've heard so much about it, and I know that it would be in my top five if I do watch it. And little I know, here it comes in as my number two as well. Uh, awesome movie. So I know you mentioned some of the actresses, but it also has Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell yeah. in it. And like Madonna plays a great role when she plays, you know, all the way May and Rosie O'Donnell is great. And her role is Doris. I think this is such a fun movie. I really love the concept of it. And like you said, it's a true story. It's a fictionalized account of it. So it's not actual it's based uh, on true like events. names yeah. and stuff. But yeah. It's, it's based on true events. So Jimmy Dugan was, I guess he was inspired by Jimmy Fox who, who managed in the league, but that's, that's he's what not I thought. the same kind of, <laughs> guy as uh yeah. as how jimmy dugan is portrayed and i think yeah. it's like it's really interesting in that i watched it and it's like oh tom hanks is a manager that's like not necessarily a thing a lot of people would have had because this movie came out so this is 1992 this is a year before sleepless in seattle this is two years before forrest gump this is three years before um toy story and castaway Ca- no, Castaway was like even way later. Even, like even this, later, yeah. I was just yeah. It's, no, there's another movie. I I had it, and it is it was you've before got all mail. of them. Yeah, before you've got mail, before Saving Private Ryan. So like this is like one of Tom Hanks's early roles, and uh, definitely not the most flattering version of himself. He's certainly played a lot more likable characters, but I guess he does have. But, a but nice his character definitely by the end. definitely yeah definitely more likable at the end when he yeah. when he bonds with the players yeah Yeah, particularly Dottie who's the the best player in the league so exactly I uh yeah I I really enjoyed this movie I'm glad that I took the time to watch it before doing this list because I I would have uh you know felt disappointed in myself if I if I hadn't seen it and didn't realize that it it should be this high on my list so all right so for my number one choice for best baseball movie I went with Major League 
which is I know it's not as good of a movie or or uh, as some of the other ones, especially A League of Their Own. But in, in terms of my personality, it's just the perfect baseball movie for me. It has the perfect amount of of comedy, uh, drama, and romance, and it stars uh, Charlie Sheen, who plays Rick Vaughn as the Wild Thing, and uh, Tom Berenger as uh, Jake Taylor, the, the main guy in the movie, and and then also Wesley Snipes as Willie Mays Hayes, who uh, <laughs> who is also a great character as well, and uh, and then also Rene Russo uh, was great in it as well, and then as well as the Allstate guy uh, as Pedro Serrano. Uh, have you even seen Major League? So I I don't think I've seen the full movie. I've definitely at least seen parts of it. But this this was one where like I I know it's a really funny movie. Um, I probably should take the time to you know watch the, it all the way through. It's very quotable. But, I'm not going to quote everything about it, especially since if if you've never seen it or haven't seen. I know it from start to finish. I know like some but, parts of it like hysterical movie and I yeah. and it also and it also has a great ending uh, in. Uh, in a baseball game versus the Yankees of all teams. Uh, and, and Bob Uecker, uh was also a super hilarious announcer in the movie as yeah. well. And has a, a lot of sarcastic uh, comments throughout the movie and just perfect baseball movie for me personally. And I, every time I've seen it probably dozens of times and, uh, and I still laugh when, whenever I watch it and it's a perfect baseball movie for me. So I have it as number one. Yeah, I wasn't expecting this as your number one, but I'm I'm sure it's a pretty common number one movie for people who just enjoy comedy baseball movies. So my number one is a movie that uh, I don't know if it really has a whole lot of business being as great as it is, but it, it still pulls it off, and that is Moneyball. I mean, it's a movie about a team that didn't even make it past the first round of the playoffs, the 2002 Oakland A's. But I, I think as a... As a big stats guy, as someone who like really appreciates that side of the sport, I can't help but love this movie. Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are both awesome in their roles as Billy Bean, the general manager of the A's, and Peter Brand, his right-hand man. I think it's such a cool story how it all comes together, and uh, this is one that I'll, I'll always appreciate. I'll, I'll always remember being in the theaters for... Uh, getting ready to see the third Transformers movie, not excited about it at all. And then I see the Moneyball trailer and I was like, this is a movie that I really want to see. Uh, and I, it certainly did not uh, let me down. I think that this is one that I'll always look to watch whenever I see it on. And um, I'm glad that I watched it again on Sunday night and just affirmed my decision to put this as my number one. It, that's definitely one of my honorable mentions. I guess the reason why it's not in my top five is I guess I just don't like the aftermath of what baseball has become now, where it's it's too analytical or too data driven, and uh, that is fair. It's definitely I, I will, feels like it needs to go back a little. Yeah, I and Theo Epstein has talked about how we got to put the game more back into the players' hands and and not have it be too reliant on computer systems and and analytics. But but I, either way, I did enjoy I did enjoy the movie and and just learning about what what it took for the Oakland A's to become the team they they became that year. And I don't know, just how a baseball team eventually was ran. And I don't know, it was a cool story. And so I had, I would have had his honorable mention. So one thing that I caught uh, that I I don't know if I had 
I had caught before. So Billy Bean does talk about their 20 game winning streak and how he's like, none of it matters if we don't win at all. Nobody's going to remember this. And the first time I ever heard about the 20 game winning streak was when I watched the movie. I had no idea that actually happened. I wasn't sure if they even just made that up. So it is, uh, it is pretty remarkable just how like accurate everything played out in this one is. So, um, yeah, big, big fan of Moneyball. And you've mentioned honorable mentions. I mean, what are some of the other ones? I have a list of a bunch of them. I feel like we did on a top 10, and I still would have had some good ones left off. Uh, let's see. Hold on. I mean, I'm I know I had, surprised I know I, I had, that you didn't have Field of Dreams in your top five. That was probably my that, number six. That, I've, I've seen Field of Dreams. It, I didn't dislike it. It was fine. Uh, For the Love of the Game was also another good Kevin Costner baseball movie. My dad loves Field of Dreams. Uh, yeah. So he'd probably have that as well up there. But I yeah, I have I, for I love of the game it. written down. It was, it that's was one that that's one that is actually like widely criticized. It's actually a box office office failure. A lot of people don't like it. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was a cool movie. Oh, Hardball uh, is another one that I've never we, even heard of that one. Uh, Keanu Reeves uh, coaches a a youth baseball team in the ghetto and. Uh, I, I, I would, I'd recommend that one. I, I, w- I don't think, I don't think it would be in your top five or, or anything if you were to watch yeah. it and just change your mind on some something else in the list. But I, I think you'd enjoy that. Uh, yeah. So for for the love of the game, Hardball, Moneyball, uh, what was the, a uh, Bull Durham? Those would be my honorable mentions. <clears throat> and so yeah. Another one that was that was close to making my list, the Bad News Bears, the nineteen seventy six version. Uh, that's that's always a classic. I've watched that with my dad a lot. I know he loved that movie. Um, <laughs> Benchwarmers is one that oh, I have to no. throw that out. No, <laughs> see, it's I, a stupid I comedy. Like, I did not it is, like it. It's like a thirteen percent. It's funny. It's thirteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, eighty five percent on Google. So it's uh, very much a cult movie. Like no self-respecting baseball movie fan will put that in their top five. And I'm sure that you know some of our listeners who might not be big baseball fans think it's hilarious and are you know would put it in theirs. I really did not enjoy that. Just me though. I really did not enjoy Benchwarmers. Uh, one movie that I want to see, and I I'm curious if uh, if I did see it, if I would put in my top five or not. I don't know if you've ever heard the movie The Natural. I have, yeah. That's it's, yep. I forgot to write that one down. That's one that I've heard of, and I, I like know what it's about, but I haven't seen I've, it. Yeah, and I've seen parts of it, but I've never seen it start to finish. And I feel like that's a movie I would really enjoy. So yeah, it's if like it's a on King Netflix Arthur story of baseball. Yeah, if it's on Netflix, wait, say that again. It's like it's like based off King Arthur, but it's like a baseball version of it. Um, like King Arthur and the Round Table. That's one thing I've heard. So I mean, reading about it, it says. Uh, I mean, he's a young phenom, and he ends up uh, sustaining an inju- injury, and he tries to come back uh, as an older player, and mm-hmm. uh, and becomes like one of the best players in the league. And I don't know. I f- I feel like it stars Robert uh, Redford as well, and it it was made in 1984. And so I feel like that's something I could enjoy, and, and it has a cool ending to it. I've, I remember the ending vividly, but I I haven't seen the the movie start to finish really. Um. Yeah. So that that's one. I guess in terms of other movies that I haven't seen, I haven't seen Angels in the Outfield. I, I have, but I I watched five. it as a kid. And I didn't like it. Yeah, it, it was. Lame. And then another one that 
I feel like I should watch, and I know this is a highly rated baseball movie. It's from all the way back in 1942, Pride of the Yankees. It's about Lou Gehrig. came out shortly after uh, he died. Yeah. Another cheesy one, <laughs> Rookie of the Year. Have you ever seen that movie? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't think I've seen like that all the way through. Yeah, that that I've one's super seen cheesy. some of it. Yeah. Um, Eight Men Out is another one that I watched actually on the 100th anniversary of the, the Black, Black Sox scandal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one where I'm like, I I really love the story. I'm super intrigued by it, but I don't know if I, I wouldn't... necessarily love the movie. Yeah. Like, it's it's I a good I, portrayal I, of it, but I wouldn't put it in my top five. I think five I would have the same opinion 10. where the story is very intriguing, but I I'm, I don't think I'd be like entertained uh, mm-hmm. by it as a movie. Yeah. And then uh, the last one. So I don't know if I'd be a little surprised if you remember this one, uh, but it's Everybody Wants Some with two exclamation points. It actually came out in 2016. So this one, it's an R-rated comedy. It was advertised as a 1980s version of Days and Confused. So I watched this one a few years ago, and I really liked it. It's it's uh, I think it takes place in 1980. It's basically like a kid, like a freshman, shows up to school to play on a college baseball team. There's lots of drugs, sex, alcohol, hazing, all that stuff. But it, I think I did a really good job with this one. Um, I started watching it on a plane, um, and I had to turn it off about 25 minutes in because there was like a topless woman on it. I was like, I don't know if I should be watching this in public. Like, this feels a little, a little weird, but I ended up watching it a few days later when I got back and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, didn't make my top five, but it's, uh, it's one that was, is certainly a, a good honorable mention. One, one more honorable mention. Uh, have you ever seen Mr. Baseball and stars Tom Selleck? No. He's, uh, professional baseball player who uh ends up getting traded to a japanese team and uh and shows what and shows his career playing for uh a japanese team and i wasn't amazing but it was it was all right yeah i've heard of mr 3000 say that again mr 3000 i've seen i've seen that it was it was fine yeah i don't know if i've seen the whole thing but Anyway, we've thrown out basically a top. Yeah, we throw we've thrown basically movie. every single baseball. Movie <laughs> yeah, everything on Google. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, great genre. I'm very excited for opening day tomorrow and just this, this baseball season in general. Really hopeful that I'll be uh, attending a game at Fenway Park this summer, and maybe I, even if I'm lucky, PNC Park. But we'll see if I make a trip out to Pittsburgh anytime I soon. I also hope to go to a a game in person as well. Yep. Yep, only 12% capacity right now, but I think that'll grow as more people get vaccinated. So, all right, that'll uh, that'll wrap things up. We'll have another episode next week. We'll talk the Masters. We'll recap March Madness, probably some other stuff. So for my co-host, Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone.